You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR and the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. The Federal Government is announcing big projects that are supposed to revitalise an Australian economy and is continuing with its wish list of attacks on working conditions, wages and fundamental workers' rights coming out of the COVID-19 and the recession that existed before COVID-19 shutdown. Big infrastructure that centres on fossil fuel projects, big end-of-town renovations and construction, and the return of the master-servant relationship our forebears fought against throughout the past 250 years. But the one thing the pandemic revealed is that what big business wants and what a working society needs is not always the same thing. Big infrastructure projects won't answer the shaky foundations of our economy, the rampant casualisation, exploitative employment conditions, lack of respect, pay or conditions for workers who relied on heavily during the pandemic, cleaners, caregivers, drivers, educators, frontline medical staff. And when it comes to the federal government's push to simplify awards, have a wage freeze and get rid of that pesky overall boot test that insists that a new deal should not be worse than the old, let's us take a quote from Doug Cameron, the leader of the Australian Manufacturing Workers' Union during the Accord years in the 1980s and later a Labor senator. We have sought real partnerships and been portrayed. We have benchmarked. We have introduced teams. We have talked endlessly about training and competency with almost no results. We have innovated. We have been flexible. We have restructured the award. We have simplified the award. We have strived for best practice in manufacturing workplaces. We have bargained and bargained and bargained. None of this has been enough for government or employers. The workers have been abandoned to market forces and the latest fads, such as downsizing, contracting out or re-engineering. That's why today we are featuring an alternative. Adam Bant, leader of the Greens, gave a presentation for the Australian Institute called Renewing Australia, a New Green Deal. It's not the only alternative, but it incorporates ideas from other sources, and at the heart of the idea is a jobs guarantee, and it has a lot to say about jobs for the young and infrastructure for the future, rather than the past. But first, some union news. Bike and Car Rally for Thursday, 18th of June at 4pm to circle New South Wales Parliament in Sydney while the Liberal government pushed to privatise the state's bus services takes another step inside the Parliament building. 
In keeping with the COVID-19 restrictions reserved for political demonstrations in the state, 10 demonstrators from the local areas affected will stand outside the electoral offices of the three members of parliament in the bus regions targeted in this round of privatisations at the same time. Union leaders from the Rail, Tram and Bus Union New South Wales branch at a recent planning meeting for the Bike and Car Rally, Dave Benino from the RTBU said the government's staggering the privatisation so that there isn't a groundswell of objections from the community. This isn't just about loss of jobs, this is about loss of services to the public. Once public transport goes into private hands, it is very difficult to get back. AMWU member who was at the meeting said some people say it doesn't matter when they sell to a private company, just a change of shirt, but it's not so. Private companies only care about profits and the shareholders and they will do anything for a profit. This is not just about jobs, it's about public services, it's about everything. The rally organised by the New South Wales RTBU with support from the May the 1st movement and the state MUA, ETU and AMWU branches is calling for the government to abandon its plans to privatise bus services in three sections of the Sydney network. The government plan will mean the scrapping of over 100 bus routes. An ETU member from the maintenance division of the bus services said, it's not just about our jobs, we are pretty skilled, we will get another job. It's really about what kind of place we want to live in, the people who depend on the buses, all those back streets and out of the way places, those routes will all go and the people will have to walk. The bike and car rally will gather at Domain in Sydney at 3pm Thursday to bedeck the cars with banners before making its way down to Parliament. We will follow all the rules, said Robert Carr from May the 1st. The bikes will be at the front, setting the pace. Once we are outside the Parliament, circling and blowing our horns, they will certainly hear us inside. The Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, MEAA, kicked off its Out Communities, Our Stories campaign on Monday, June the 15th, raising voices of its rural members as the News Corp has announced that the bulk of its community and regional newspapers will switch to digital-only services from the end of June. The Executive Chairman of News Corp Australasia, Michael Millis, has hinted the company is on the brink of upheaval, saying last week it was evolving from a network of newspapers to Australia's leading journalism network. Reporters from the specialist network would be expected to produce a single story to be shared amongst mastheads, including the Telegraph, the Sun Herald and the Courier Mail, instead of each title having its own dedicated team. News Corp is expected to stop printing as many as 100 titles, which reached 60 million people in print after talks to offload the papers failed. This quality journalism will be better resourced than anything we have done before and will be developed, published and shared on all formats to grow audiences and subscriptions, Miller said. We aren't just an extension of the main centre's news, said rural reporters at the online conference held by the MEAA to begin the campaign to raise noise about the destruction of the newspapers that service country Australia. They described their role as sports reporters, community news gatherers, keeping councils honest and keeping broader Australia aware of infrastructure projects and environmental issues on their doorsteps. Without these papers, it is feared there will be a media desert and no historical record of three-quarters of Australia. Further to the announced shutting of up to 160 newspapers, the ABC also announced the loss of another 250 jobs in its country network to deal with the pre-COVID announcement by the Federal Liberal National Party 
government of another couple of millions to the ABC's budget, despite the major work the organisation did during the bushfires that destroyed large parts of New South Wales and Victoria earlier in the year. The MEAA is calling on the government to consider direct and regular financial support for regional journalism, tax incentives to support new business models, making sure our regions share in the funds that will flow from the new mandatory code, ensuring digital platforms like Google and Facebook pay a fair price for media content. NTU Fightback has a victory at Melbourne University. The grassroots campaign of NTEU members calling for a no vote to the National Tertiary Education Union National Executive's National Job Protection Framework to cut wages to save jobs in possible negotiations with universities across Australia had their first resounding victory with 64% of all staff refusing the Vice-Chancellor's proposed 2.2% pay cut and a cut in redundancy entitlements in order to pay for a financial crisis which the group says does not exist. This was confirmed last week by Ian Marshman and Frank Larkins from the Centre for the Study of Higher Education who noted the University of Melbourne is in a comparatively strong financial position with sufficient available cash and investments to cover all the potential fee losses for 2020. The vote on Wednesday the 10th of June is the first non-union ballot in the country at the union's largest branch and the first enterprise agreement variation since the pandemic to be put to a binding all-staff ballot. The branch has engaged in a wholesale organising effort to win the vote and amazing 18 workplace meetings in two weeks with have been attended by over 1,700 staff plus phone banking with volunteers and delegates. The meetings have been organised with delegates from across the campuses and have spurred growth in both membership and delegates for the branch. Katie Wood, a Melbourne University NTU delegate and no-vote proponent, said this kind of branch and local area-level organising is exactly the sort of activism that can build up union strength on the ground. It shows what is possible if the union chooses to defend members' wages and conditions, whether we win or lose. Last week on... National Cleaners Day, members of the United Workers' Union in Canberra awarded Treasurer Josh Frydenberg the 2020 Golden Toilet Brush Award for every cleaner he has left behind. The COVID virus crisis has highlighted the essential work of cleaners, yet the many cleaners who are international students remain cut off from federal government assistance and affordable health care. The Treasurer could have fixed this with the stroke of a pen, but instead he refused to recognise the invaluable work of international students to our society and economy. In a National Press Club speech, Prime Minister Morrison outlined his government's way forward out of the pandemic as it relates to workers insisting it was not ideological, but simply a package of sensible reforms with one goal, to make jobs. To be discussed between now and September by five working groups convened by Industrial Relations Minister Christian Porter. These working groups will be tripartite, that is, involve government, bosses and trade unions, but might also involve, in inverted commas, other interest groups. These working groups are to discuss award simplification, enterprise bargaining, casual workers, compliance with industrial relations laws and Greenfields Enterprise Agreements. 
Peter Boyle, co-author of 13 Years of Hard Labour, The Lessons of the Accord Experience, said, It is based on the familiar fairy tale that if workers help the corporate rich make more money, the benefits will trickle down in the form of good jobs and decent wages and conditions, and that this was working just fine until COVID-19 struck. Peter Boyle went on to say that uh, while Sally McManus, Secretary of the Australian Council of Trade Unions, has said that the ACTU wouldn't agree to anything that would lead to workers being worse off, a number of unions have already offered employers to trade wage cuts for jobs. Boyle says the billionaire class is also determined to resume the path of economic growth that has brought on the climate crisis, created mountains and oceans of waste, and has left hundreds of millions of people in desperate poverty. Here is the Greens' view on what would make a future worth living in Australia for workers as we deal with COVID, climate change and a precarious working future. We've got a number of crises that are all uh, crashing in together at once in this country and we need a plan to um, not only get out of the current coronavirus-driven recession, if not depression, but to tackle those other crises as well. And that's basically the underpinning behind our plan. We've got the climate crisis, and I think um, it's worth remembering that although that's been bumped off the front page, it is reaching crisis point. Um, They're warning that if that... As we have this discussion about economic recovery, sort of that little light needs to be blinking away in the corner of the screen to say that the climate crisis is still um, there and needs to be tackled. But we've also got, I think, what I would call a jobs and inequality crisis in Australia that existed before the coronavirus-induced uh, recession, but uh, with the dialogue which has been really turned up by the growing a crisis and the response. And I think probably, it's probably best crystallised by thinking about the position of young people. There's lots of ways that this crisis is playing out. But before the crisis started, nearly one in three young people in this country, about 30% uh, of young people either had no job or didn't have enough hours of work. And that number of not only unemployment, but underemployment, i.e. someone who's got a job, but when you ask them, have you got enough hours of work? They say, no, I'm, I'm having trouble making ends meet. Underemployment for young people since the GFC really has remained persistently high. And in the first figures that we've seen from the corona crisis, that figure has jumped immediately. It's now uh, about four in 10 young people either doesn't have a job or doesn't have enough hours of work, plus a whole bunch of young people have just completely left the labour force altogether uh, over the last few weeks. And when you think about the industries where it's hit, um, hospitality, retail, Uh, tourism that kind of makes a lot of intuitive sense but what the history of previous recessions tells us is that the damage for young people can last for years if not decades if not a lifetime so we've got this big inequality crisis that's really hurting coming generations we've got the climate crisis uh, we've got a jobs crisis and what we're arguing with our plan invest to recover is that what we need to do is have a break from neoliberalism and basically say that the answer to all of these crises involves government getting its hands back on the steering wheel, um, government taking advantage of these historically low borrowing rates and investing in what we're calling um, nation-building and planet-saving projects to provide some hope and uh, jobs and work and education and training for young people 
but also uh, we can't wait for the private sector to pick itself up. Um, we can't wait for corporations to come and ride to the rescue. It's going to have to be government that accelerates out of this corner. Cuts won't be the answer. Shunting it off to other people to ask them in sort of Morrison's latest phone a friend response and say, oh, can, can someone else come up with the plan won't be the answer. It's got to be government that gets its hands on the steering wheel and helps steer us out of this crisis. Our plan is called Invest to Recover, and you can find it just by Googling Green's recovery plan. But it's part of our Green New Deal approach to tackling the various crises that we're facing. And that takes its, its name and its, a lot of its inspiration from the New Deal, from the uh, approach from the US government coming out of the Depression. And of course, go back almost 100 years and you had a society that had previously been ravaged by a pandemic and then got ravaged by a depression. And the government said, look, in terms of how they were going to get out of it, um, we've got a lot of people who are looking for work, a lot of people who need support. It was really the opportunity in the US to not only um, begin building the welfare state and make sure that everyone was looked after as they got uh, out of the depression, but also developed a lot of things of long-lasting benefit to the country, a lot of transport networks. They built the US national park system out of it. It really was a process of saying to everyone, look, we're going to look after everyone um, if you want a job, we will find you one and we'll do it on a project that isn't a make work project, but instead is a project that's going to deliver lasting benefit to the country. And that's the approach that we're taking here. Uh, we're saying it's time for some significant investment, um, time for once in a generation size investment to get out of these crises. And so we contain a number of elements trying to solve a number of pro uh, problems at once. So a big part of it is building half a million new public housing homes over the next 15 years, which would create about 40,000 construction jobs and 4,000 apprenticeships if you put in a ratio of um, required apprenticeships on that project, at the same time as helping tackle the public housing and homelessness crisis. We want to revitalise manufacturing by setting up a new body, Manufacturing Australia, modelled a lot on the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, uh, because we think with things like green steel, steel produced through hydrogen, uh, if you had in Australia some strong local procurement laws that said, look, as we're building high-speed rail down the east coast or wind turbines as part of the uh, offshore wind farms, you use green locally made um, steel, you could really, through a body such as Manufacturing Australia, really revitalise uh, the, the manufacturing sector in this country. And also, of course, getting to 100% renewables and um, getting that done over the next 10 years. But We'd, I think it's important to realise that um, a, low, a low emissions job isn't just putting up solar panels. Teaching's a low emissions job. Uh, care, aged care's a low emissions job. And so a big part of our plan is also expanding that caring and service and education sector in the economy, getting back to having free education in this country, um, increasing the size of the aged care workforce, making childcare free as well. Uh, and lastly, ensuring that we get the arts and creative sectors back on their feet. They're completely decimated, a very large employer, a lot of people who aren't getting uh, any of the government's assistance packages at the moment that are being left behind. We're going to need a plan to um, ensure that those areas are rebuilt. And lastly, uh, we want to ha have some big, significant projects on rehabilitating our environment, in particular recovering from the bushfire um, crisis that we've seen. So all of that, on our estimation, would create somewhere in the order of 620,000 jobs. 
um, uh, all uh, funded as part of our plan and an additional component of it, that our jobs guarantee uh, approach as well. And we estimate you could be looking at about an additional 250,000 jobs for young people as part of that. We need a special plan and approach to make sure that um, all of those crises are tackled and that young people aren't left with an economy in 10 years' time that is still um, suffering from the cuts. Because the, if you look at what the UK did when it um, tried to come out of the GFC, it, it just embarked on this austerity drive and said, oh, we've got to cut, cut, cut to pay back the debt. And then what happened? Well, fast forward 10 years later, and you find hundreds of thousands of people living in poverty. Um, you find an economy that's in strife and you find younger people who um, started their working lives during that GFC um, in enormous strife. So we're proposing a, a, what we're calling an NXGen guarantee, which is a guarantee for young people to say that under our plan, we'll guarantee you your choice of either um, a free education at university or TAFE, so that you could use this opportunity to skill or reskill, a guaranteed uh, job working on one of these nation-building planet-saving projects that we spoke about, um, rehabilitating our environment, building uh, the renewable energy systems of the future, making sure that we've got free education, revitalising our arts sector, and um, at a minimum, a guaranteed income that you can actually live on. So a big part of our plan is ensuring that we retain the rate of the current double level of new start, uh, for, certainly for everyone over 22, and a slightly lower rate for people who are studying under 22. Um, but every young person would then be guaranteed either um, an income that they could live on or a decent job at industry wages or a um, place in free education. And the idea of a jobs guarantee is to say, you know, we, we hear a lot about full employment and the government trumpets getting to full employment. And most people would think, well, full employment means if someone wants a job, they can get one, a decent job. And, and not this sort of insecure one hour here or a shift there that counts as unemployment in the, as employed in the statistics, but really doesn't give you enough to live on and can actually make your life worse. But a decent job that is well paid and that is secure if you want one. So be uh, making a promise to to young people, if you want a job working on one of these projects, we will find you one. A, because we think that the employment creation potential of these will be so huge, but B, um, it's a responsibility, I think, of our society to say we are not going to have a lost generation. To do this, I should say, involves a fundamental break from neoliberalism, because neoliberalism says, oh, well, 5% unemployment with a whole bunch of hidden un underemployment is fine and if that means you have to have a very insecure life doing bits and pieces of work here and there well so be it that's what the private sector says this involves a fundamental break it says government's actually got a responsibility towards its population um, including to give people jobs if they want them and i and to those who um uh, say oh well a jobs guarantee can you actually do that so yes you can and i'd say what's the alternative because at the moment the alternative will seem to be for a lot of young people is going to be potentially living below the poverty line on low levels of unemployment benefits that the government wants to take them back to. Now, come back to the start. We've got a lot of work that needs to be done um, to set the country up and to deal with the crises that we've got. We've got a lot of people who will be looking for work. Let's put two and two together. And that's what a jobs guarantee is about. How do we get suburban, rural and regional Australians on board with the concept of a Green New Deal? Yeah, it's a, a good question. I mean, the I'd say two things. One is, I think, increasingly, especially after the summer that we've just had, uh, people increasingly are now feeling the climate crisis really viscerally. Like it's no longer 
just something that might happen in the future. It's something that's happening now and it's something that's happening to a lot of people. It's happening in the inner city when you can't um, take your kid to childcare as I couldn't one time over summer because the smoke levels were too high and it's, but it's happening in um, the regional areas where people are losing their homes and their lives and now living under enormous threat and are saying, look, it never used to be like this. I think um, one of the things that I found in my time as a Greens MP, both locally here in um, Melbourne, uh, where we've grown the vote beyond um, people who might usually expect to vote Green, but also on the national stage, is that uh, the people understand that the climate crisis is real. People like the Greens plan um, to ultimately say we've got to get out of coal and replace it with renewables. Well, one of the things that they want to know is what's the plan about jobs? What's the plan for having a strong economy? What's the plan for ensuring that we can all lead a good life? The invest to recover approach, part of the Green New Deal approach, is to say that in this approach, um, the, uh, the economy and jobs and your security is important too. And it's about decent work that allows you uh, and your loved ones to live a good life and not feel constantly insecure or feel like you might lose your job at any moment, but in doing so in a way that uh, looks after the planet and uh, doesn't destroy it. So I think part of the answer is to um, be clearer about talking about the things that matter to a lot of people, but also I think the second part is to acknowledge that actually people are feeling the climate crisis a lot more now and are probably more open um, to solutions on it than they have been for a long time. Mm. Perhaps a comment on the, the power of the fossil fuel lobby. Yeah, it's an important point and there's a revolving door at the moment between MPs and ministers and fossil fuel companies. So, it, yes, it's the lobbyists who come and patrol the corridors of Canberra and having seen it in action, it is a scary sight to behold, them coming in and basically saying to an MP, oh, yeah, you can vote this way if you want, but I'm going to run a campaign against you and unseat you at the next election if you do. And they tend to get their way on pokies, on... Um, uh, on mining or fossil fuels in particular. Um, the, um, but also when uh, a lot of MPs are there just warming their seat and they go out and they take a job as an executive or the head of one of the association, the lobbying associations within uh, one of the fossil fuel companies, and it works the other way around as well with high levels of staffing, for example, in the Prime Minister's office coming out of the fossil fuel sectors. So there's a very, very tight um, interconnection between the two. And I think one of the things that we've got to do is um, get big money out of politics, like restrict donations to um, $1,000, no matter who you are, where you come from, how big your uh, checkbook is, restrict donations to $1,000. And um, also, if we started restricting the amount that could be spent during election campaigns by political parties, then you remove the incentive to fundraise so much in the first place. And so I think some tightening of the rules when it comes to money in Australia. Uh, and also, I think, uh, secondly, like the, the willingness of politicians needing to have a bit of guts and say, look, we're going to act in the public interest because actually in many instances, the public interest is not the same as the interests of the coal and gas companies. And so um, I, I think there's a lot of votes to be won from politicians who are prepared to stand up and show that level of courage. That's it for Stick Together this week. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. My name's Annie McLaughlin. 
Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there is a union for you. And until next time, stick together. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.